Welcome back, y'all. This is another episode of Aggie Hoops Weekly, and we're going to do something that I honestly did not think we were going to get a chance to do in 2019. We're going to talk about two wins. We're going to talk about a home win over Georgia, a road win over Mizzou, and we're even going to dabble in our better-than-expected road loss at Ole Miss. Let's get after it. We have more than one victory to talk about. I'm excited. Let's go. Welcome back to Aggie Hoops Weekly. We're changing up the the schedule a little bit due to the team schedule this week with a game on Tuesday. We thought it was going to be a little bit easier if we just waited until after that game to record. So we have the benefit of three games, including two big wins for the Aggies. So David, uh, how are you feeling about things now? You know, we did some dirty calculus, Blake. We talked about whether it made sense for us to talk about the, the uh, the win against Missouri in the immediate aftermath on Sunday night, like you said, it was going to be tough for us to meet, uh, to edit it and get it up by Tuesday morning. So we had a calculated risk. And we, I looked ahead at the schedule and I thought, maybe if we wait, maybe we can beat Georgia and talk about two wins at the same time, which is an exceedingly rare proposition for us this year. And the gamble paid off. So we are. We're sitting on a winning streak. Well, two wins. I mean, I'm not going to tell you they were against the greatest opposition, and we'll touch on that later. But, you know, there's something to be said for – playing another bad team and winning. And we did that twice in a row. And you have to feel better than you did you know, the last time we talked 10 days ago. Definitely. It's it's good to see A&M get wins over the lower-end competition. Um, when you are yourself the lower-end competition, you take every win you can get. So I think it was a good measuring stick for the Aggies to realize that maybe they're not quite in the cellar as bad as they thought they were. Uh, it was good to get get some revenge against Missouri and and pick up a nice win over Georgia. So the 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 other point to make here is the game against Ole Miss was very winnable on the road. Um, you know you had a you had a, a great opportunity to pick up three in a row. In all honesty, and and that was probably the most disappointing thing is you couldn't close that one out. So. With that being said, uh, let's. Why don't you jump in and give us a rundown of the games? Yeah, let's do it. And I'll start with the one. I'll start with the least fun effort, the the loss. So we're going to talk about our trip to Oxford first. And uh, I'll jump in real quick and say that we started about as hot as we've started any game this year. We started the game in Oxford, nine for thirteen from beyond the arc, which. Uh, it just sounds completely at odds with what we've seen from the team all year. So we jumped out to a to a solid start. Ole Miss kind of got a foothold, and I think it was they had a one point lead at halftime. Uh, we did open up a, a between six and nine point lead as we stretched into the middle part of the second half, and then at the worst possible time, we went ice cold. Oh, it's like the old Finding Nemo scene. Good feelings gone. Like that's where we were. It was just everything we thought we could rely on fell apart at the worst possible time. We were six for twenty-four from the field coming down the stretch, and three of those made buckets were three worthless garbage time buckets. So you could extrapolate that and say we were three for twenty-one when it mattered. So that's the story of of the trip to Old Mesa. Is a hot start, and again, just like the trip, at, just like the trip to Florida, a hot start that we couldn't turn into a victory. It's weird that for a team that struggles to shoot from the outside like we do, even on the days where we have it out of nowhere, those haven't turned into wins on the road. Weird, but I can get over it pretty quickly because I'll talk about our trip to old, uh, our, our trip to Missouri next. Now, as we entered the game against Missouri, we were one and eight in SEC play. It was the low mark for 
Kennedy uh, during his tenure at A&M in terms of the record during the halfway point of a conference season. And in that context, we went to Mizzou and we scored 21 points in the first half. It was truly, truly awful. Uh, a thousand blessings to anyone who actually sat through the first half of that game without changing the channel. It was a, a 30 to 21 Mizzou lead at halftime. I'm telling you, Blake, I was getting pretty close to the end of my rope. Obviously, we're going to stick it out through the season no matter what. But sitting there at one and eight, Looking at a halftime score where we're down by nine, we've only scored 21 points. It was looking pretty grim. And I have an analogy here that I think most of us can relate to, which is the golf gods. The golf gods know that in order to keep you coming back and paying money to the various golf courses in your area, at some point they got to give you something to hang on to. Normally that takes the form of a great drive or a great shot on 17 or 18 that makes you stupidly think like, yeah, I'm good at this game. I'm going to come back and pay $50 two weeks from now. That was the second half of the Mizzou game for me because right as I was about to really lose interest in the remainder of the season, we scored 47 points in the second half at Mizzou. It all came together out of absolutely nowhere. We eventually ended up cruising in, a, in, this, uh, in the second half against Missouri. It was a fantastic fantastic offensive output from us in the second half a really fun 10-0 run to kind of bust the game open and an interesting note here we were six for six from the line down the stretch when mizzou tried to foul to shorten or to extend the game late so nice win at missouri and then the story of the follow-up home win against georgia as as well as i thought we played we truly played a terrible team in georgia they are truly truly awful they were one and nine in scc play coming into that game uh, with that only win being a home win over owen 10 vanderbilt so as bad as we've been this year Georgia was worse, and they did not do anything to change my perception of that opinion uh, in this game. We we opened up a double-digit lead before the half against Georgia, and they never threatened. It was honestly one of the most relaxing conference wins I've I've seen in a while. Um, certainly the most fun conference win we've had this year. So that's that gets everybody caught up to date. We uh, we're now sitting at three and eight in conference play, and. We're still on the bottom four of the SEC, but for the first time in a while, you know, we can we can we can see a path out of the opening night of the SEC tournament. So yeah, I think the best way that you can look at this is three games, six halves of basketball. Really, I think there were four good halves of basketball amongst those six. So resulted in in one loss, and uh, surprisingly, the 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 the. Second of those bad halves, the 21-point first half against Missouri, actually was was one that you were able to recover from. So that that Old Miss loss, I think, was was worrisome. Uh, just the lack of execution down the stretch, but at the same time, that wasn't a new trend or a new phenomenon for this team. We've seen those issues before. Um, going ice cold. We've seen this before. It, it, it felt like deja vu all over again. I, I'm right there with you on that first half against Missouri. I, I, I tweeted things that I may regret uh, after, after the comeback, but hmm. uh, it was so infuriating. It was just a, a maddening half of basketball to watch the Aggies just flounder in a sea of incompetence. So I, I and, and it, that feels harsh, but it just was an, a horrible half of basketball. Just ugly. There was no, there was nothing redeeming about it. So, um, yeah, yeah, but, it was it was a terrible half at the worst possible time. That's that's the story I think of of the of the week that was is that we got about as close to rock bottom as we possibly could before we finally pulled out of the tailspin. I mean, we really, you know, we got that sucker about five feet off the ground before we leveled her out. It was it was about as low as you could get. So we we did. We pushed it about as far as we could go. We pushed the fans about as far as we could go. To your point, we did turn it around. So 
yeah. I suppose there's that. <laughs> there is that. We we kept it off the ground, so that's a good thing. Um, so let's let's go back and talk about Old Miss to start yeah. with. Uh, Starks, Mister Mister TJ Starks played a grand total of six minutes against the Rebels. What insights do you have into into his diminished playing time in that game? The weirdest thing about the Stark situation, Blake, is that he started. Normally, when TJ Starks is in trouble, he comes off the bench. He he'll sometimes he'll play sporadically, uh, but normally that's the clearest indication to the outside observer that he's in some kind of troubles. That he's not on the floor to start the game. He started the game, only played six minutes, and only attempted one shot. The working theory I've heard is that that one shot attempt was kind of a forced shot in the lane, and Kennedy just said, "Nope, like that's it, man." Like we talked about this all week. That's the on-court theory I've heard is that he had some sort of clear instruction to become more of a facilitator and to not bulldog the ball into the lane anymore, and then he didn't listen at this earliest possible opportunity, and Kennedy basically said, "That's it, you're done for the day." I don't know if something happened off the court that's maybe a bit. Uh, a bit less straightforward, but you saw an interesting quote from him midweek that made its way through the through the Twitter sphere. Yeah, in, in the in the lead up to the Ole Miss game, there was a question about why the team plays seems to play better on the road, and T.J. Stark's answer was basically, "We don't get any support at home, and when we go on the road, there the crowd is amped, they're pumped. Even if it's against us, we feed off of that energy." And Reed Arena is like playing in a a mortuary. So, uh, I, and I wonder why I, that I'm, is. I'm paraphrasing, yeah, well, but but yeah. yeah, I wonder why that would be if you're at, at one and eight in conference play. So, um, yeah, I, I I my assumption was that that those comments played into this. He he did uh, he did make a, a mea culpa on Twitter and, and apologized in in a very cryptic way. Didn't say exactly what he was apologizing for, just said that he was sorry and that he was going to be better. Uh, But I never really clarified, or I never saw anything clarifying what, what he was apologizing for, but clearly there was something, whether it was on the court or off the court that uh, he was, he was, he was not in Billy Kennedy's good graces. Yeah. And that's part of what made me so frustrated heading into that Missouri games. I thought, man, this is all we need. We're already got all sorts of problems, and now we're just going to add some like childish drama to the situation. Like that's that's just not what we need. I don't think anyone will never know for sure. Uh, they've certainly kept it behind closed doors, but it was odd to have him only play six minutes. And the knock-on effect of that is that you know Collins got eighteen minutes and uh, and French got six in a game that was pretty close. So. Uh, I'll say that from from my perspective, the the real reason we hung in this game was honestly it was a two horse race. We had uh, Wendell Mitchell and Brandon Mayhan were the only two guys who brought it offensively. Mayhan was six for seven from beyond the arc in this game, Blake, which brought his two game total to ten for eleven. I mean, I don't even know what do you do with that. It's it's about as hot as somebody could possibly be. But we shot our way into this game. And uh, I think that's what's uh, frustrating about the fact that we went, we went ice cold at the end there is that given that you're going on the road to play a better-than-expected Ole Miss and Starks only gives you six minutes, most of us would say we're losing that game. Uh, but the team kind of pulled us in with the hot shooting start, and we got to a point where we could be expected to win it, and then it all fell apart. So I don't know. Is it better to have loved and lost or never loved at all? That's a great question. Yeah, you found a way to shoot yourself into the game, and then you managed to shoot yourself right back out of it. So certainly a disappointing trend on the road. 
so this let's let's jump ahead to, to Missouri and look at the Aggies win on the road in Columbia. The the thing that I that jumps out to me in this situation is the absence of Josh Nebo and the the dominance and reassertion of Christian Mekawulu. Mekawulu was phenomenal in this game. He played great. He's really the only post player you have at this point because Nebo was out with an injury for actually the the last two games that we're going to cover here against Missouri and against Georgia. So being down to one post player, it's it's a very tenuous exercise in in managing fouls and in managing minutes. Mekwulu played 31 minutes, had 15 points, kept himself to three fouls, 10 rebounds, really nice double double. I was I was very pleased with his play, and and he was a big part of the Aggies' success on the night. Oh yeah, he's the story of the week in my opinion. I mean, this guy has been on the side of a milk carton for the better part of conference play and then finally when we absolutely had to have him he put forth what i think might be his two best efforts of the year so and we'll touch on how uh he played about as well against georgia we'll touch on that soon but you're right 31 heavy minutes i mean being being the only big guy on the floor those are heavy minutes um and he did a good job so yeah that was a huge huge boost for us Uh, another thing i want to talk about we got for the first time i can remember blake we got both TJ Starks is in the same game. And you know what I mean when I say both TJs? Yes, I do. There's good Starks and there's bad Starks. Rarely, if ever, do both of them make the trip to the arena on the same day. It is almost always exceedingly clear which one we have almost immediately. And we had bad Starks in the first half. All the uh, the, the, the bad habits we've learned to, to, to dislike, they were all there in the first half. And then he completely flipped it at halftime. I can't think of the last time he's done that. Uh, he was the catalyst for the run that sealed the game. And he just... There's no other way to put it. He picked his head up. He picked his head up, and he was a facilitator. And we've talked about this over and over and over again. That's the best version of this team is whenever he's looking to pass first. So I, kudos to him. I think aside from Mekawulu, he was the he was the biggest part of why we eventually did flip this one and grab a victory. Yeah, I agree. It was a, definitely a great sign of growth on TJ's part that he was able to flip the switch at halftime and, and get his head back in the game. And, and become the facilitator that this team needs him to be. He wasn't starting. He was coming off the bench. But I think that I think that the message was received. I think he's, he's doing what he needs to do. Um, his shot attempts are down. You only saw him take 10 attempts. He was 5 of 10. I'll take that every day of the week. Give me, give me TJ with 10 good shot attempts, making half of them. I'll take it. I'm I was thrilled with that. So, you know, in this case, um, Mayhan once again. You know, you talked about Mayhan. He didn't do anything spectacular in this game. He only had six points, um, but but at the same time, hey, that was serviceable. Uh, you saw Flag make a, a nice step forward, but Wendell Mitchell. And this is something I don't think we've touched on, but there's there's de- definitely a trend with with Chuck Mitchell. He is a second half phenom. Yeah. This guy when when he hits halftime, I don't know if the the Tune Squad comes in with the with the special Michael Jordan juice or what what's going on, but he 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 figures something out at halftime and and comes out in the in the second half as a completely different player. This guy's amazing when he's when he's in the second half and when he's locked in in the game like that, he can really transform and take over a game. Case in point, 
against Missouri, he had six in the first half and 14 in the second. And this is probably the fifth or sixth time in conference play we've seen him completely take over a game in the second half. Really quick, I want to backtrack and discuss Mahan really quickly because he did have two pretty uh, two pretty important plays during the run that sealed this game for us. The first of which was uh, a pump fake and a baseline drive followed by a beautiful threaded pass to flag for a three, which I thought, who is this guy? That man hasn't, hasn't done that all year. So just a nod of the head to him for setting up the play that uh, I think I think uh, flags three was the dagger in the 10-0 run that finally killed it. But then a little bit later in the game, the ball were, uh, Missouri had, had cut the lead, I think, to six, and the ball worked its way to Mahan on the corner, and he, he put it up. And his body, everything about his body language was like ball game. The sucker's going down, and you just saw him start rotating back towards midcourt, and then he drained it. So I, his stat line didn't look that that great. I think it was a pedestrian, if not invisible, first half. But he was a big part of two of the biggest plays of the game. So I don't know, man. Man, kudos, kudos to the guy. We talked about him potentially losing his spot. He had been uh, his minutes had dwindled down to fifteen or less, and he, he's come storming back. So. He really has. That's all really all I can do is tip the cap. Yeah, he really has. His confidence it seems to be up. And and I think that's a really critical thing for him. He's one of those guys that when he's confident and he's comfortable in the game, he can do some really nice things. When he plays with when he plays with with his chest out and kind of, you know, with that air of swagger, he's a really nice player. You still have some moments on the defensive end where you're a little worried about him. He'll get lost a few times. But he tends to he tends to make up for those on the offensive end, even if it's not with the a volume of, of high caliber plays. He seems to step up in the right moments, and that's a good thing to have. Anything else for you from this game? No, I think that was that was it. Let's jump ahead to Georgia. Let's do it, man. This is a fun one to talk about because Georgia was bad, and it was fun to play somebody bad. <laughs> it was fun to see a really bad basketball team on the floor and have it not be us. That was that was something that I was not used to this year. It was one of those things, Blake, I started piecing together when I wrote the preview uh, on the site for the A&M Georgia game. I was adding up, what can these guys do well? What results do they have this year? And I was just like, we're going to win this game. <laughs> like These guys just aren't good. So that was a really bizarre conclusion to come to, and it's even more bizarre that things generally played out that way. I mean, there's no game flow to discuss. There's no anything in terms of of how the game went down. We just built a big lead and we sat on it. So what's the angle here? Do you want to hit, should we hit how bad Georgia was? Are there positive things you want to discuss from us first? I mean, it's both were in play. It has to be said. Oh yeah. There's, there's definitely aspects of both. As you mentioned, uh, you know, TJ had a really nice game. Mekawulu was phenomenal. But J.J. Chandler, for me, was was a real revelation. This is kind of the first true offensive outburst we've seen from J.J. this year. Uh, he had 18 points in 25 minutes and looked phenomenal. He shot the ball well. He was two for two from beyond the arc. I I was really impressed with what J.J. had to, had to offer on Tuesday. Yeah, he's one of those guys, man. If he's sticking that shot from beyond the arc, he becomes a legitimately good offensive player because – We've seen from the moment he got on campus, he has a quick first step. He's always had that. He's generally in the 25-ish percent range from, from three. You can just sag back and 
and then you're not worried about that first step. You just sag back and give him the shot. If he's sticking shots, it opens up his entire game. That's what we saw today. I mean, he got to 18 points relatively easily, and they couldn't keep him out of the lane, and they couldn't keep him out of the lane because his shots were going down. So, man, if, if he could develop a consistent shot from beyond the arc, I mean, he could become a legitimately solid SEC guard. Definitely. That, and that was that was what I was really pleased to see is is – JJ kind of take an op- take this opportunity that was given to him and and make the most of it. So he he got some great minutes. He was he played 25 minutes. Uh he was 8 for 10 from the line as well. That's that's something unusual. Usually you see JJ as about a 65% free throw shooter, I think. So, mm-hmm. uh you know, we talk about his struggles from beyond the arc. He also struggles at the line and he was 8 for 10. So that's 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 a mark from from JJ. I'll take any day of the week. I mean, yeah, it was his uh, it was his highest rated his highest rated offensive game of the year per Ken Palm, and so from the the advanced metrics back up what we both saw, which is that it was his best offensive performance and his most efficient offensive performance of the year. And so, I mean, I, do you want to just run back the the ninety seconds we had on Mekawulu because he was everything. He was exactly the same again on a day where we had to have it. He gave us a ton of minutes, this time 34 instead of 31. Still stayed out of foul trouble. Uh, this time he had 15 boards instead of 10. I mean, uh, yeah, it's – yeah. what more cannot can stress enough how badly was, we needed this from him. He was Absolutely. great. He was great in the paint. And and you know, Georgia has some size, and it didn't matter. Mekwulu cleaned, cleaned the glass and was a monster inside with from that regard. So I, I, I was – Thoroughly, thoroughly impressed with what I saw from Mekwulu in these last two games. Uh, I'm really happy he got a chance to step up. So with that being said, let's talk about Georgia and, and just how bad and how inept this team appeared to be. Well, I, but I wanna, I'll tee you up here for some Tom Crean discussion. But I just want to note one thing. We played Georgia in the aftermath of some pretty heinous comments from Crean. I think they caught him... I mean, they say never speak your mind in the immediate aftermath of a loss, but he got asked a question about player retention in the aftermath of whatever loss they had prior to playing us. And I forgot his exact words, but it, it essentially, effectively he said, well, it was my decision to keep these guys, and now I've got to live with that decision. And, I mean, you can still see the tire tracks on their backs from the bus he drove <laughs> over them, man. it was That's about as rough of a statement as you can say. And, look, I know how college basketball works. But when a coach comes in, it is not – unexpected to see a flood of outgoing transfers and normally that's coach initiated so i get it but some things you don't say man you just got to swallow that one a little bit and uh perhaps that was part of why they didn't really look like they cared that much in this game yeah. i don't know man what what I, do you I, make of georgia because some people wanted to hire green i think they returned the favor he pushed them in front of the bus and they turned around and and backed the bus right over him so uh, <laughs> You know, Claxton had a had a really nice night. He had 18 points and 10 boards. But outside of that, there wasn't there wasn't anybody really doing much of anything on that team. Um, look, I think Crean is a great coach. I know that there were a lot of people in the aftermath of last year who said, "Oh, well, you know, let's get Crean while he's still available." And and Georgia seized the opportunity and snatched him up. Crean uh, got a, a huge get the number one rated player in the country uh, committed to Georgia over Kentucky this week. So that's, sure. that's yeah, a that makes huge sense. Yeah. coup. Yeah, that, that makes yeah. sense. We all saw that coming. Um, 
I'm really surprised at that. Anthony Edwards, the the player we're talking about, number one point guard in the country, phenomenal player. I, I really didn't didn't see that coming. So from that perspective, I don't think that this team and what you're seeing here is indicative of Tom Crean, right? This is yeah. this is an anomaly. This is an aberration. It's not. It's not something that's that should really reflect on him as a coach. But it does. It does kind of give you pause when he when he makes those comments and says, "Well, these are the guys I decided that we had to keep." So uh, I'm, you know, I have to swallow the blame for this. That's, you know, that's that's a very, uh, yeah. It's it's just not a, a good morale booster for the for the club overall. But. I do think he's on his way to building a nice little program at Georgia, and I think he'll do great things there. So I don't, I don't look at this year or this loss uh, as as anything an indictment of, of Tom Crean in any way. So Blake, I think that sums up the the week and a half that was uh, two and one, no complaints. But we need to discuss how light of a two and one it may have been because there are four teams in the SEC that are clearly worse than all the rest. And we just played two of them. So as we look ahead to, to what's next, I have to ask you, is this real? Can we truly sink our teeth into the two wins that we just saw? Or are we about to get a, a rough dose of reality? Um, that's a great question. I, I don't know what to expect, in all honesty. I, now, well, I'll, I'll say with the first game coming up Saturday, I, I wouldn't expect anything uh, outstanding there south carolina is playing really well this year frank martin has that team in a good way right now they're seven and four in conference 12 and 12 overall but you know like we said seven and four in conference is a good mark at this point in the year so i wouldn't i wouldn't go into the south carolina game expecting a win alabama is an interesting one you know we we stole the game in tuscaloosa there's an opportunity here uh, now, granted, they're fifteen and nine. They're six and five in conference. They're a decent team. I've never been a fan of the way Avery Johnson has this team going in the last couple years. Uh, I just the, the style of play is very disorganized. Um, I just don't get a feel that he's got a good handle on the team. I, I think. His players kind of run whatever they want to run, and by I say run, it's just kind of jack up the first open shot that they can find. <laughs> I, I I just I don't see much of a semblance of an organized offense, and defensively they're they're suspect as well. So they you know they rely on their athleticism, but they don't seem to be real real well organized. I think if you come out with a solid plan of attack, you can you could pick up a win against Alabama. The question yeah, is, I'll, are we going to come up with a solid plan of attack? That's fair, and I'll just – I can leave it at this. I think if if this is truly at least a mini resurgence and we're going to end up working our way back towards the middle of, of the SEC standings, you need one of these because what you're effectively you're – playing, you're playing a road game against an overachieving team that the, off, that the advanced metrics say – is kind of a paper tiger you know even even the computers don't exactly know how this is happening so you have a south carolina team that is seven and four but may not be as good as some of the teams at six and five or five and six and then you're home for a bama team that is also kind of fledgling in the middle of the pack so 
yeah, if, if you want to work your way out of the cellar, I feel like you need one of those too. And, and if we can do that, then, you know, I'd be willing to hang on for another week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that there's definitely an opportunity there for, for you to pick up one of those two. Um, you know, it'll, it'll be an interesting, interesting ride if, if nothing else. So I, I think that that, that sets you up for the next week with, with, uh, some games against Arkansas and LSU, you know, you're, you're hoping to have some momentum cause I don't see a lot on that end, but, uh, you know, this is, this is that time of year where, you're 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 looking to pick up wins and and get your way out of the first night of the SEC tournament if you can. Well, hopefully the next time we talk we'll be even further along that road, man. Talk to you soon. 